Hey everyone. Before we begin today's show, we want to address everything that's been going on for the past week. Well, really what's been going on for so much longer than that. We've been doing Ram Nintendo for eight and a half going on nine years. In that time, we made the conscious decision to make our little show a refuge from the crazy world. From the shootings, the policies, what have you. We're here to talk about entertainment, and like many forms of entertainment, it's meant to distract you in a positive way, to let you have some fun. You know, to be enjoyable in a place where you can go unplug from the broader news. But as anyone who's a regular listener of the show knows, one of my personal favorite aspects of gaming, of doing this podcast, is getting to be a part of a broader community of video games, to go to events, to interact with others with similar passion, a similar fandom for Nintendo. And what the past week has shown, really what the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Eric Garner and so many countless others have shown, is that we have a systemic problem that we can't just ignore on our little island of Nintendo. Our community, the gaming community, is just as affected by this as any other. We as Random Nintendo, Angel, Kevin, and myself, want to use our platform, even if it's a smaller one, to highlight the issue. The gaming community as a whole is slowly but surely responding as well. Past the fluff PR statements, it's great that companies like the Pokemon Company and Niantic are donating money towards organizations that are working to end this injustice. We applaud that Infinity Ward, makers of Call of Duty, outlined specific steps they are finally taking to clean up their online environment and remove the racist remarks and behavior that frankly won way too rampant in gaming as a whole. And while who knows whether or not they hear us, we encourage other developers and publishers to follow Infinity Ward's lead. If you can change the behavior of people when they're younger, when they're hiding behind a screen name and an avatar, perhaps you can influence their future decisions. Perhaps you can change their mindsets going forward in a broader world where they're out there as individual human beings. It's not perfect. I'm certainly not pretending to be an expert. And we collectively are not saying we can fix the problem or even grasp the extent to which it permeates. But what we want to do is encourage you to do what we're doing right now, to take time to dig deeper into what's happening around us, and we hope choose to take action in some way. There's a great set of resources available on how you can help through donations, petitions, protests, you name it, at blacklivesmatters.card.co. That's matters with an S and card with two R's, C-A-R-R-D. Again, that's blacklivesmatters.card.co. We thank you for anything you choose to do to help. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to have this platform and to utilize it in this way, even if for far briefer of a moment than it deserves. And as for us, we want to listen and learn if anyone out there has stories to share or lessons to teach about how we can be and do better. We're on Twitter at RamNintendo, and our inbox is open at contact at RamNintendo.com. We hope you act. Go ahead and stop this episode right now to do so. Take action after. Whatever you prefer, we're here and ready with a show full of hopefully what you find to be fun topics and interesting discussions. So thank you, and now... Hello and welcome to episode 230 of the Random Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Angel. I'm Kevin. And we're calling this episode, you guys are going to love this, we're calling this episode Fantastic Four in punny honor of the game we'll be having impressions of in a moment here, uh, What the Golf. But um, besides that, well, how's so everyone terrible. doing? Everyone just heard me for a few minutes. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Week felt pretty pretty quick. Um, watched a couple new shows. Nothing too crazy. Just productive. Good. Kevin, you? I had come off of a four-day weekend, so it was rough for me at work this week. Oof. Yeah. Four days. Oof. That's lucky. It was nice. Sounds it. Well, anyway, besides what the golf, um, we're also going to be discussing uh, what really can be summed up in kind of three 
buckets of topics. We have ports on Switch from claims by some developers that they can bring us anything now to the reality scene in some of the more recent releases that maybe they can't, as well as how those games are being reviewed. We're going to talk about the art of games in the sense of what happened to the more interesting art styles. I know Angel has thoughts on that. And then we have a tiny hardware segment in the form of actual news about tiny hardware, Sega's Itsy Bitsy Game Gear Micro, an arcade stick that turns your Switch into a full-on baby arcade cabinet. So there's all sorts of stuff to talk about this episode. Um, Timestamps are, as always, on the blog post at Ramtown.com. But I guess we just jump in with what we're playing. Is there anything you guys have been playing? Before I go on my tear about what the golf, which I absolutely love, is there anything that you guys have been playing that you want to mention? I mean, there's stuff that I was planning on playing, but I just couldn't get to it. Like, literally... Yeah, I just haven't had time. I mean, when I mean I was productive this week, it just means I just haven't really had a chance to play anything. Mm. Except a little bit of God of War, but that was just to catch some crows. Uh, I was crows. <laughs> I was planning Oh yeah, wrong, on, wrong, wrong podcast. I was uh, I was planning on playing Elder Scrolls Blades and uh-huh. I was also going to play with the golf, but I accidentally broke my internet. So Yeah, how did you do that? What did you exactly do? Uh, so I pulled, I pulled, so I have AT&T fiber internet. I, and so unlike regular internet, I guess, so your internet, I'm assuming you're, there's like a wire, a a coax cable that's connected to your modem, correct? Yeah, that sounds right. Right. So here it's like, they had to install something on the outside of our wall. And then mm-hmm. on the inside of the wall, I have this little terminal that Oh, that's has... what I have. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like some white little plastic thing that connects to some other thing on the outside of the wall. Yeah. And then Weirdos. that has some cable that connects to the modem. Yeah, so it's an Ethernet cable that connects to the modem uh, instead of in the coax cable. But I accidentally pulled... When, when trying to replace the Ethernet cable, because the Ethernet cable that's connected to this little terminal thing... It's only like a foot long, and I want to move the modem in my room so that the house can get a little bit better Wi-Fi. And in mm-hmm. trying to replace the the Ethernet cable, I um accidentally pulled the fiber cable. Oh, that so, sucks. No. So that so, cut off uh, your gaming career for the week? Pretty much. Well, I guess next time we have Elder Scrolls to look forward to for impressions, and... Because uh, the reason I say only that is because I'm about to gush about what the golf. Like, oh my god. It's, it's, I really love it. It's, uh, I, I feel like in a lot of ways, this is a game that just, like, screams, I'm a video game. Like, it's wacky, it's funny, it's random, and, uh, like, it, it's interesting because, like, if you look at it, um, the analogy that makes the most sense is this is to golf what Adult Swim's pool panic from a few years ago was to pool. Like, take a simplistic mechanic of hitting a ball with a respectable real-life analog analogy experience, whatever, and then do things that you don't expect it to do. Like, Pool Panic did this by kind of making an adventure game of sorts with uh, each level being like a puzzle. And what the golf do, uh, does this by basically going full-on WarioWare. And it is awesome for it. Like, I mean, I'm a big WarioWare fan. It's one of my favorite series. So I'm, if I'm comparing it to WarioWare, that's high praise. Um, but, like, when I say WarioWare, what I mean is, like, the entire game centers around the same basic input in a way WarioWare would. Because, you know, like, with WarioWare, each game, maybe excluding gold, which was a compilation, did its own thing. So Smooth Moves was all about motion. The original was D-pad and A-button only. Touched was obviously touch, etc., etc. And here, the input is the action of what amounts to slingshotting. So you can do this by either pulling your finger back on the touchscreen 
or how I've been playing, pulling back with the left stick and then tapping A to shoot, and that kind of launches you forward. And the further you pull You're back... You're playing on TV mode? What? You're playing in TV mode? No, I'm playing in handheld mode, but with the, the Joy-Con. Oh. In fact, there are parts of the game where they actually recommend you pop it out and play it only in handheld mode, some of the levels, which is interesting. But yeah, and the, and the further you pull back on the stick, you know, the more powerful your shot is. So yeah, I'm, I'm doing it with controls, but in handheld. And tabletop. I did multiplayer and tabletop. But anyway, um, what it amounts oh, to... Oh, look at you. I know, but what it amounts to at first is like standard amounts of weird like you're hitting a ball with a club and then oh haha now your club is launched instead of the ball oh wait now the golfer is flying instead of the ball like whatever good fun like a little subversive but nothing too wild and at this point in the experience i almost felt like it was kind of more kindred to something it doesn't get old no well hold on i'm getting there so that's what it starts as like base level like in the first couple minutes literally and at that point it's kind of like oh this is sort of like good job or one of those games where it's more about like launching things and seeing how the physics around you interact but before long that whole mechanic the pullback and launch starts being used in ways you do not expect like suddenly you're in a 2d space or you're driving a car or you're launching couches or your golf ball is now a soccer ball and you need to dodge soccer players or you're a crab climbing a cliff to a little like plateau at the top or you're shooting between planets with different gravity or you're uh, an fx the curve or you know you're a mountain bike or you know all these different things that all just use that same mechanic and the beauty of it is like WarioWare, the game leaves it up to you to figure out what to do as it puts you in these now different scenarios with the same control scheme so all it really gives you is a simple prompt about how, uh, about you know like hit the goal or collect the sheep or whatever it may be but then it's up to you and how you interact with the stage to figure out what you really need to do for example there's one stage where I launched my ball but then Instead of just controlling the ball where it went, now I had a second ball to launch, and then a third ball, and then a fourth ball. And all these balls were bouncy balls. So what I realized is I actually had to figure out, and this was a bit more random than like strategic, but you figure out, oh, you have to bounce the balls into each other and kind of create like this chaotic ricochet room of sorts that gets one of the balls to finally hit the flag at the end, or the hole, or whatever you want to call it, through a 2D maze. Or like in another stage, I hit the ball, and it ended up being a vase. Like you didn't know what it was going to be when you hit. It was a whole table of various things, and then the vase flew off. And then you keep doing it and you realize, oh, if I bonk the vase into anything now, that's going to shatter. So I need to actually dodge everything more than usual. Or there's another one where I was told just to guard. That was the only instruction. And I started to move around the aiming cursor and it actually started hitting these enemies that were coming at my golf ball. And I realized, oh, this one I'm basically doing a very, very simplistic tower defense. I just had to use the aiming cursor itself as a pinball flipper to keep things away from the golf ball for however long the Emmys lasted, like 30 seconds or whatever. Well, that so, is very WarioWare. Yeah, so you've got like some levels that are very gamey with like a clear-cut course of action and then others that are more like experimental little toys like the bouncy ball one and all of it, like you said, yeah, it's very WarioWare. Even um, to the point that there are video game-inspired ones. There are riffs on Mario, on Portal, even Flappy Bird of all things. It is very through-and-through through WarioWare in vibe. Where it, differs, where, uh, where it differs, though, is probably more in structure. So... First and foremost, no time limit on, on any of these. There's no way to lose like there, in a, like there is in WarioWare. There's not even a score kept outside the total number of strokes you've taken over the course of your entire save file. Um, instead, the game's just about constantly like discovering what weird new thing there is next. It's sort of like falling into Sent into Madness, just in a really fun way. And how it's basically structured is you're, for reasons unclear, a golf ball 
in a massive building, like a laboratory full of rooms where they're doing different experiments with golf balls and you, I guess. And each room is almost like a little themed world. Or if you want to keep the WarioWare analogy going, each room is kind of like the character set of micro games in WarioWare. So in the way that like Jimmy T has sports games or 9Volt has Nintendo games, there's a room in What the Golf that may center around 2D levels or game references or levels that involve furniture in some way. And then each individual level is split into three challenges, where the first one introduces you to a concept, the second one kind of iterates on it, often in the form of needing to complete um, a similar challenge as before, but now with a certain number of moves, which is probably the most golf thing of the game. They basically have par of what you just did now. And then the third version is kind of like the wackier take on the first two, usually not necessarily as difficult, just kind of like this weird left brain strange thing. And when you complete all three of those, you get a crown, you collect all your crowns per room, you unlock the next set of rooms, that's kind of how you make your way through the game. And it's really that flow, a concept, an interaction, an extremification of that interaction that the devs seem to really nail so well like across the entire game. Like I haven't beaten it yet, to be fair, so maybe I shouldn't say entire game. But every new what? room, I know, shocker. But no, every new room that I open seems to just go deeper down this rabbit hole in ways that only make sense based on what I've already started to do in the other rooms. It's like the Nintendo philosophy of how to introduce a new concept to a T. And there's also a really clever um, mode called Show a Friend, which obviously exists for marketing. But um, I know, just hand your switch to someone, and the game will give them a speed run of that progression into like that descent into madness through about 10 stages or so and really demonstrates how like yeah the game may be called golf but really it's anything but golf by the end of it and uh show a friend's actually very handy because it's a primer for what i was saying before which is there's a multiplayer mode the um the switch version has a new exclusive party mode uh at least i think it's exclusive and uh it's really i really fun. wish more games had a show a friend mode yeah it's really it's really helpful like it's one of those things that you don't think because how you explain like i've been rambling about what the golf for how long now a long time. That's a long time to tell someone, do you want to play this two-player weird golf game with me? But it like, walks them through the mechanics and warms them up to what it is and how it works. And they can go to the party mode where it's competitive against that person. Uh, two people, they send you through a set of um, essentially mo- single-player challenges, just kind of retrofitted for two-player support, with the goal of who can complete the challenge first. And each win is added to your score, but then at the end, you actually need to duke it out in this like battle royale coliseum of sorts, and those scores you have actually become your health, and each you know point you earn becomes one more hit point you can take from the other opponent. And the battles come in different flavors, like uh, throwing exploding beach balls at each other, or um, using you know the same as before, pull back and shoot mechanic to shove people under falling boulders, or things like that. Um, and it's it's all randomized, you know, which courses you get, which battle mode you get at the end, which is great for replayability. It has a very, like, Mario Party vibe. And, I, you know, we went through it, like, multiple times and only saw maybe one or two repeated um, individual challenges out of probably, like, 30 or 40 that we did. So that's not too bad. Um, but it's super fun, total blast. And, and that's not even it. There's more modes on top of that. There's a daily challenge mode that strings together levels, kind of like the party mode just with a worldwide leaderboard at the end instead of a battle. There's achievements you can unlock. There's an impossible challenge mode, which is basically the daily challenge, but way harder, like to the point where the game, when you go into the mode, actually says, heads up, this is like really hard. Um, yeah, if you couldn't tell, I'm extremely into What's the Golf. It really like scratched that WarioWare itch for me. And while there are some specific challenges along the way that like I would get stuck on, mostly due to requiring perfectly timed luck that I just, you know, you have to keep trying to get it. Like the vast majority of the game is totally my cup of tea the presentation the music i mean the music when they have lyrics it's all just people harmonizing the name what the golf in different ways that's you know it's perfect there's oh the puns there's huh. puns galore right up my alley like i cannot recommend this thing enough especially if you're a warrior fan it's 20 bucks 
that sounds a bit much up front, but when you realize just how many modes there are, it, it's a total no-brainer in my mind. So, um, but yes, to your point, Angel, I do wish more games did the kind of show a friend thing. It would be so much easier to get people, especially when indie games get more like weird and trying definitely to do different things. for indie games. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a mode that doesn't really need to exist for every type of game. Because oh, yeah. some are pretty easy. Like, oh, just, just play this. But like I recall like, wanting to show some people at work like Rhythm Heaven. And it's trying to show like, oh, why it's so great. But starting them off from like the easiest levels might be a little too boring. And starting them in the more difficult, more interesting levels where, you know, it's like where you get the big payoff, like might be way too hard. So it might be nice if there was like some kind of in-between end. I don't know. Yeah, and I, like some games, I feel could definitely benefit from that. Just like a, like a trial that isn't a tutorial, just more of a, I don't know, like a simplified but interesting level. I don't know. And that's why I, I think something that hasn't really been done. That's why I think like what the golf did so well is someone in that development studio whose name I'm for, the name studio I'm forgetting at the moment, but someone in that studio very closely followed the best way like teach an element in a game and figure out the long form way of doing it which is the game itself and then the short form like here's how i catch you up so you can play it and understand it without having someone coach you through it because what you're describing like you don't want to show them the hardest and you don't want to show them the easiest thing that show a friend mode is like the perfect in between i was really impressed i thought it was gonna be so when you first boot the game there's about four levels they walk you through and it's literally the thing i was describing where it's like you hit the ball oh now you're hitting the club what oh now it's the person that's wacky but like i thought it would stop there but it kept going and then started introducing cars and introducing furniture and introducing the bikes. And like there was stuff in the share friend mode that I had yet to see in the single player until I went back the next day and progressed further through it. So like it, they did a really good job of kind of just like almost like a speed run through that's cool, everything the I, game has. That's cool because I would definitely want the person to play it. Because like the best solution I had at the moment was, which ended up working well, but it'd be nice if they got to play it, was essentially me just playing the last few levels. That way they could see how crazy it get and like what it is about it that I really love, which it did portray it well, but you know, I wanted them to play it. Right. Right. But yeah. yeah um, but yeah, it's, 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 I'm having a blast with lots of golf. Like I, I went in going like, how much this... is it? What? How much is it? 20. 20. Well, yeah. that seems to be the standard. Price yeah. And, it, and like I was saying before, when I mentioned the price, it does have some like content behind it. I mean, it's not just the story mode. It has the multiplayer. It has daily challenges. It has leaderboards. It has achievements. It has impossible challenges, which are like a ramped up version of the already existing daily challenge. Like there's a fair amount of stuff. And you know, if you're paying 40, 50 for a WarioWare back in the day, or let's say 30, even for gold, the amount of content and the vibe of this is similar enough in scope that, um, it seems totally reasonable. But I did not expect to like it this much. I We tried it a few years ago at the Indie Mix at E3, and it was like, oh, this is kind of silly. I thought it was going to be one of those like, physics-based puzzle sort of deals. But no, it like it went full WarioWare, and I was so pleasantly surprised. So, so yeah, hmm. that that's what the golf. Um, that's basically what I've been playing. But uh, let, let, I guess we can move on. Unless you guys have any other thoughts on games being played, I guess we can move on to the first bucket of news. Mm, uh, no, it's good. I can't think Too of big, anything. Okay, yeah, so... Um, the first bucket of news just it, it sort of encompasses a few different things, but it's everyone's favorite type of Switch game, ports, or namely like big third-party AAA ports. Um, the time since our last episode, uh, there's been a slew of them. More than I even realized, I actually went through Nintendo's recent release list and compiled a list of just how many ports we got in the last 14 days, let's say. Xeoblade Chronicles, all of the Bioshocks, all of the Borderlands, all of the XCOM, well, XCOM 2 and its expansions, the Outer Worlds, and 
heaviest hitter of them all. I can't believe this is a real game. Arcade Archives Naughty Boy. Did you know in 1982 there was a game called uh-huh. Naughty Boy by Jellico that's now available on Switch? Naughty. I wasn't born in 82, so. Uh, that's fair, but it's apparently a. Th- this is how you know it's a quality game. They describe it as a stone throwing. Yeah, action we're not game. old people like you, Jason. Hey, I was born in '89. We're the same age, Angel. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm not a May baby though. Ah, fine. I'm six months old, four months older. Okay, but um, yeah, this game literally in its description, the publisher says it takes some getting used to. Which right there, what a glowing endorsement of a game. But no, what uh besides that, I just saw I saw Nyboy, I'm like I have to click this. What is this? But it's a game where you stone you throw stones at enemies, I guess. But uh besides that, what I found interesting is that along <laughs> okay. with all those releases, there are a couple high profile top of their class switch porting studios that started bragging about all the other stuff they can do. Like Saber Interactive, who ported The Witcher Three among other things, started promising that we'd be surprised at their upcoming project. Which, you know, that's a nice tantalizing tease but it was really uh, virtuous who ported over starlink for ubisoft and dark souls for bandai and xcom 2 just the other week for 2k and the outer worlds um they went above and beyond their senior producer put in an interview put in an interview that quote we have no doubt that switch adaptations can be worked uh can be worked for games on any of the current generation of consoles in other words he thinks that any single game that's ever that's been released on any PS4 or Xbox variant can work on Switch. Do you so think like that's Red realistic? Dead Redemption 2. Do you think that's realistic? Because that, to me, sounds like he's buying off more than he can chew. That's a bold claim. So I think... I mean... Oh, go ahead. There you go. I'm not going to say, like... I mean, I feel like anyone could say that. Or does he actually mean, like, in their full state? Because I'm sure you could get any game to run, but you would have to sacrifice a lot. Yeah, and that's the thing that I mean. They're talking about how the Outer Worlds was, how it did, as an example. Um, you know, because that's the game he was being interviewed about to promote that and XCOM because they came out at the same time. Outer Worlds did not. Um, like, I don't know if you guys watch Digital Foundry much. Um, I love Digital Foundry. Did you watch their Outer World review? Of course, I did. Yeah, that game. I mean, I, that I, game I, does not look. Yeah. Uh, for lack of a better word, good. <laughs> yeah. No. Now, on the one hand, I do think it's worth pointing out the fact that they got it running in any capacity that is releasable is commendable. But, I mean, they were promising when this thing was announced it was going to be 720p in handheld. It was going to run at 30 or 60 frames. In reality, it's 384 to 540p in handheld. The frame rate's in the low 20s. There's pop-in. There's blurry textures to the point that text is illegible. Like, it... It hey, reminds me of like nostalgic. early what? Do you think it'd be nostalgic? Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what I was about to say. It reminds me of like early like PS3 stuff kinda. But um PS3? I was gonna say more like maybe in sixty four. Oh no, it's not quite that bad. I mean well Kevin, what do you think? You saw the video too. Do you think it's as bad as N sixty four? I wouldn't go that far personally. No, I'd probably say like a, a low budget early PS three game. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and again, it's nice that we're able to experience. I don't know, it. man. There are some PS2 games that look way better than this game on you think? Switch. You, you know what the worst part is? God like of War they, Two looked amazing oh, on PS2. That's true. Yeah, but you know, you know what's crazy to me is they are very confident in this product to the point that they've already pledged all future DLC for Outer Worlds will include the Switch version. And yet, mm. this is what they put out. And I again, I'm not. I don't think it's for lack of trying. I mean, like. 
clearly they put effort into this, but I don't know if the week you release that, if you want I mean, to turn around game, and right? say... it's a big game, right? It doesn't seem... We can do anything. I mean, it'd be kind of unfair to compare this to the Mortal Kombat 11 port, right? Just because that's a fighting game, well, and it obviously it they depends on how you to... look at. Because I mean, well, I'd say it's perfectly fair because our this senior producer at Virtuous put his studio's central name on the line by straight up saying we can bring any games from the current generation to consoles. So Mortal Kombat, this, they're all fair game. How they approach them maybe is different, but I mean, the man said any game. So you know, I think it is on some level okay to compare the different games from the different studios. Like, technically, I'm sure he can, but should they is the... Yeah. Just, just, <laughs> no, just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Yeah, and I, I think I, it's not even just, like, should they in it's terms like of... frying like, your shirt. What? It's like what? Uh, no, what Kevin said just reminded me of that Simpsons line where Marge was telling Homer that he shouldn't have fried his shirt at, at the state fair. He just thought he, he thought that she said that he couldn't do it. Oh, not but that he just said that he should. Yeah, sometimes do it. they're too busy. Uh, what's the phrase? Like you're too busy seeing if you can to know if you should. Something like that. It's a Jurassic Park line, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, too busy thinking if you could, where you and you should have asked if you should. Yeah, and and the thing from is, Jurassic like, Park. And I don't even just necessarily mean like the output of the game itself is um, not going to be great. Like I think there's sustainability issues with doing this. I mean, obviously there's sales sustainability. Like some of these ports do incredibly well, but for reasons. I can't quite figure out. They keep undercutting their own potential. Like obviously like Skyrim did great. Witcher did great. But it's really difficult for someone unless they're Switch only like me and I'm a minority. I realize that. It's really weird for hmm. 2K to be like – I'm a gaming minority is what I mean, Angel. <laughs> for 2K to be <laughs> no, like – No, I know. Uh, <laughs> but for 2K to be like, hey, Borderlands is coming to Switch this week and then simultaneously turn to the epic game store and be like hey epic game store do you want the whole handsome collection of borderlands for free like who's gonna go buy the 50 dollars, 60 dollars ports when you can get it for free over there like it's is like a you know is the tax to be able to play it portable when it's saying they're for free somewhere else that much more enticing or like kevin i remember before uh, we were recording you mentioned burnout was doing something similar right oh well less about that but um Steam, Steam, uh, EA decided to finally release their games on Steam again, mm-hmm. and to uh, promote that, there were there were a bunch of their games on sale, and Burnout Paradise Remastered was five dollars. So like, it's, why would wouldn't I? Just, just yeah, pick that it's up? the same, and then you don't need it on the Switch because you just got it on Steam for five bucks. Because like. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you lose the portability, and that premium of paying for portability seems to resonate. I mean, again, look at the success there has been. But do you pay a fifty-five dollar premium when it's staring at you on, uh, you know, staring in your face on Steam? I would doubt it. If it's free on Epic, I would doubt you would then go pay sixty the same moment. But like and specifically like, with with, uh, yeah. oh, sorry to cut you off. No, go no, ahead. no, it's fine. Go ahead. Uh, but with like Outer Worlds, if mm-hmm. Outer Worlds when launched on Switch. The same time that it launched on on the other consoles, even if it was ten dollars cheaper, I probably wouldn't go for it because yeah, of that, because of like oh man that that game looks rough. And I think that's I think that's the second like I think the sustainability thing goes in two ways in two like has two points. One is the sales sustainability, but the other one is to your very point like these games are going to keep getting better. We're in the twilight year of PS4 and Xbox One. Like this is very short term. This sort of we can put anything on Switch. Like, right now, sure, a lot can, but, you know, Virtuous very specifically said current generation games. 
what happens when like PS5 and Xbox Series X have been out for a little while and when the games are designed initially for those systems and then dumbed down for an Xbox One or PS4 version? Are Who we ported the Inferiors Witcher? of Inferiors? Uh, Saber. Saber Interactive. The ones Saber, that said there's some okay. exciting projects coming up. So they too have been kind of a little braggadocious, but not to the same extent. They deserve. They can be braggadocious. They have yet to do a Outer Worlds, as far as I'm aware. But um, but yeah, like what happens when like what's current gen games are actually inferior versions of next gen games, and then Switch gets like doubled down inferiority. Like does that? You know, yeah, like some I, I, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> I remember you. I remember when when uh, what was it? The Witcher Three. Either it got an, the port got announced. Or it was released. I remember you. You said Cyberpunk, and yeah. I said there's absolutely no way that <laughs> Cyberpunk now, will be able to 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 run on the Switch. And I think I've uh, I think I sort of internalized your thought about that and sort of made it my own because yeah, I'm like looking at like I looked at a list of big third party games coming out. I'm like I don't see how half of these like GTA Five would be an amazing feat on Switch, but it's doable because it's from early in the generation not late in the generation well it was also a late generation uh, of the last system of the last systems yeah that too yeah so i didn't think of that yeah so that one could be done like red dead is maybe pushing it but possible but now we're getting games that are being red dead one red dead one would be i feel like possible but i mean that was on ps3 no way yeah yeah i don't see why red dead one couldn't be ported but yeah, it just struck me. Yeah. As I mean, there's a... some games that I'm happy are ported. I'm happy the Bioshocks got ported. Oh but... yeah, yeah. I mean, kind of like, but I mean, by the time they got announced, it was already a PlayStation Plus game, so it was like, well, I got it for free. Not to mention, like, when you guys brought up Witcher, like, I think around the time it got announced, or I guess it got leaked, and then a few days later it got announced. Um, I was interested in it, and then it was like five bucks on PlayStation on the PlayStation Store with all the DLC included. So I'd have to be crazy to want to spend forty-five more bucks. Yeah, it's, it's it exact. Yeah, it's the exact. Like, what's the tax of having it portable with lesser graphics? For a lot, for some people, if it you know, if it wasn't a game that was just then and there somewhere else, sure. Like Witcher Three sold like seven hundred thousand on Switch. That's pretty good. But you know, I know. Yeah, I mean, the fact that still, I mean, the fact that it still did well is amazing. Yeah, and it's because I think it was distanced enough from the other. Well, Witcher I guess there were a lot of Jasons too. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean there are has. and there aren't. Like the Switch, more so than any other system, maybe since the Wii, is a multi a multi-platform household type of deal like a lot of people yeah. have like a playstation or a switch or an xbox and the switch um it's kind of like the wii 60 back in the day where like three six xbox 360 and we were like the go-to combo so much that peter moore i think it was at the time at microsoft promoted it as like an actual thing like wii 60 so not like you know hmm. not in like a real capacity but in interviews he would name drop that name and stuff um yeah. Yeah, but there and it obviously people like me, but still it's it's definitely like a weird and I realize it's just one guy saying one thing, but it's just kinda like these studios that keep upping their game, no pun intended, in some real cool ways. Yeah. But then, you know, they're pushing a little hard with Outer Worlds and for them to keep saying we can keep doing it. I'm just kinda like, I wouldn't want to plant that idea in people's heads because you kinda maybe can't. But it, it does seem like right now developers are in a bit of a mad dash, get ports onto the system while they can. I mean, 2K was saying in an interview that um, the only reason they released all their games on the same day, uh, you know, the Bioshocks, the XCOMs, the um, – uh, what was the other one? Borderlands is uh-huh. uh, because they're like, oh, well, we felt bad that we, like, waited so long. So we just pushed them out at once. Now, obviously, there's probably a marketing reason they did it too. But still, they're all kind of like, oh, now we need to hit the ground running. So to that end, um, I don't know if you guys saw Amazon France – of all Amazons, leaked a bunch of generic SKUs from third-party games, uh, Switch SKUs included, not individual games, but just the existence of games coming down the pipe 
There's two tiles from Warner Brothers, three from Bethesda, two from Square Enix, two from Ubisoft, a Capcom one, two from uh, Take-Two Interactive, maybe one of them is Red Dead or GTA, one from Konami, one from Bandai Namco, four from Nintendo, and, you know, there's no way to know if they're ports or what. Some were multi-platform, so they might be, you know, or multi-skew, so they might be multi-platform, and all of them have been pulled except for the Nintendo ones, oddly enough, but what I think is interesting is... I can't name a time in recent memory where that many major third parties all had multiple projects coming to a Nintendo platform like that. Like, just like, boom, 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 like that. Like, it's it does mm. seem like, whether they're ports or something new, it does seem like, at least in this moment, as we transition to the next generation of console, Virtuous is right. Like, right now, stuff can be on Switch, no problem, because that's a lot of games from a lot of companies. Even Capcom's getting in on it. Like, could that be a new Monster Hunter? Maybe they finally are going to make World work? Do you even think World could work, Angel? Uh, maybe no no i don't think so because in the past like monster hunters were every every i guess stadium or environment was split into multiple sections so i wouldn't have to render that much Mm -hmm. but world is the first one where everything is interconnected there's like no loading screens like every couple seconds which you know became such a core part of the game that even some people were like, oh, I missed the loading screen. Iron, Iron Galaxy did state that yeah. they, they thought that they could do it. I What, what I got, did Iron Galaxy do? They did um, L.A. Noir, right? And something they, else? They did the Skyrim port for the Switch. Right, right. And, I, and Diablo yeah. 3. Yeah, I would, I mean, there's like three, basically, I think we've named them all now, but there are three like go-to developers that handle this stuff. Iron Galaxy, Virtuous, Saber. Iron Switch Galaxy's specifically, or are you good. talking about uh, uh, Switch for Switch for okay. Switch ports? Yeah, and Iron Galaxy is one of the stronger ones from what I've gathered. So, I mean, if they think they can, and see, that's such a different statement to me than we can bring anything over. Like, to specifically be like, we've looked at this game, we know how it functions, we think we can do it, is a very different statement. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd be curious. I mean, like, there's actually a lot of questions that raises. Like, does <laughs> could Ubisoft finally be giving us steep? from three years ago and they promised it on Switch. Or was it Wii U they promised <laughs> oh, it on? I don't God. remember. <laughs> I forgot about Steep. They never you, officially you, canceled you tried it. tried it out. No. Yes, yeah, you and I, I played it E3. at uh, E3, yeah. I thought it was kind of fun. It was a little more, like, realistic and less... Uh, Would you less have thought it? Sex. Yeah, I wanted more no, just sex. Uh, no, I wouldn't have gotten it, I don't think. I mean, I might have just because, like, I have this thing, and, like, luckily What the Golf kind of filled the void with WarioWare, at least, but I have this thing where, like, even though I have my GameCube hooked up, even though I have my Wii hooked up, like, I'm kind of like, oh, I wish there was a new game like SSX. And, like, I'll find, like, Steep or something and play it and be like, oh, this is close enough. It really isn't. But, like, it's, it, you know, or, like, there was, um, what was it, like, a year ago, um, I was talking about how I want a new custom robo, and then the creator was making a game called a Synaptic Drive that was going to be on Switch. just came out last week. And uh, I was like... And you got it? No, that's the thing. I was like, oh, I want a new custom robo. Like, this sounds great. And then it launched on Steam first. So I went and read some Steam reviews, and most people are like, yeah, if you're expecting custom robo, like, it's similar, but it's not similar enough. And, like, it doesn't have a story mode, and there are, like, all these holes there poking in it. And I was just like, like, am I going to buy a less than great game just because it scratches half an itch of something that I can scratch the full itch with literally one room over? I mean, it didn't stop you with Mighty Number no. 9. I know, and that, and I got burned, and that's why I'm now starting to sort of second guess these things. Because, like, I want – and I do want to support the guy that wants to continue his custom robo vision, but if it's not actually custom robo, like, even in gameplay. So it's it's weird. So, yeah, Steep was kind of a weird thing for you. Maybe it's coming to Switch now. Who knows? I, I would like um, 
if we're talking about games that I can't remember if they're Wii U or Switch, uh, Watch Dogs at one point was a big deal, the original. And I think it eventually did show up on Wii U, but I would... I think like it would do okay on Switch if they do a 1 and 2 compilation. Because hmm. is that even still a franchise? That's still a franchise for them, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, like Watch Dogs Isn't there one coming out or one just came out? No, oh, yeah, Legion's Legion. coming out. Legion. Right. You know a great way to prime the pump for Legion would be as a compilation of 1 and 2. I'm just saying Ubisoft. But then Ubisoft would just put the first two on sale. I know, at the same time, right? <laughs> I think I think I picked up Watch Dogs 2 for like five bucks. Is it? Have you played it? No. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I have, I bought Burnout Remastered. I'm never going to touch that thing. Well, at least you're and giving support right to after the that, giant uh, monolithic You're just supporting the industry at that point. But like the biggest of the industry. <laughs> it's like, it's like especially with PC, the, the fact that, that PC games go on sale so so frequently and the, yeah. the discounts are deep i just buy stuff i'm like oh i might get to that in like a year or two like <laughs> how bad how bad is your backlog oh jesus i yeah, have how many steam games do you have so of the Thousands? ones of the ones that i would play uh 82 games in the, wow. in the back burner wow Angel, remember when you gave me a hard time because I had one? <laughs> to be yeah, fair, I, you I, have I, I no excuse these. because you only have Nintendo consoles. Like he will play anything. But he's he's talking about specifically a PC game list, so I'd say it's one to one. No, no, these aren't exclusives. But they're, yeah, all they're on you're, most, most almost every PC game could be a multi-platform. There's like very few exceptions. But my backlog was also third party. Like I like I bought uh, what was it? Final Fantasy 12, Dragon Quest 11, and some other Square Enix RPG for like 15 bucks. $15 yeah. for like hundreds of hours of gameplay. Yeah. I'm never going to touch those games. <laughs> I do, I do Such remember. a first world problem. I, ha- I think I have one game. I take it back. I do have one game I haven't played that's in my backlog. I just I mean, remember. Yeah, I would also say that, like, I mean, Kevin would buy games in bulk. For the most part, I mean, yeah. or probably more often than you do, because I mean, you also buy your games when they come out by Nintendo. Well, yeah, so usually with enough time first to party play Nintendo them or beat ones, them. First, yeah, I'd, I'd never be in, but first party. So I guess I do have a backlog in a way. But first party Nintendo ones, I'm pretty good about doing day and day. But there's some third party ones I've gotten on sale, or like right now, like the eShop. So many companies are doing that thing, and we've been highlighting some of them these last few episodes. You know, um, like the games that like Pac Man I got for five bucks instead of twenty, or like uh, that Rush Two. Um, style game that I'm blanking out on the name on all of a sudden. Wrecked. Got that for like $2. So like there's some I'm doing that for. But um, yeah, for the most part, again, when they come out, I do, now that I think about it, I don't know where it is. So Square Enix used to do like a... We share a complex with them at work when we were allowed to go to the office. And uh, they do a yearly like outside their office, basically like a garage sale, like in our parking structure. Oh yeah, you got me Tomb Raider anniversary. And that's something. what I have too. Yeah. And guess who is not unshrink... Shrunk wrap, shrink wrap, whatever, past tense of that. Open shrink wrap. Thank you. Guess who has yet to do that or even know how to say he hasn't done it? Me. So that's the one game in my backlog I've never played out of my how may I own. Although I define backlog differently. For what console? Just have, uh, you have it Wii. for Wii, Wii. U? No, the Wii. The Wii. Tomb Raider Anthology for the Wii. That was on Wii? Yeah. Oh, Anthology. Yeah. Okay. It was on Wii by God in the Wii U days because, again, it was there like they just dug through their own, their old cupboards at uh, Square Enix and just, you know, threw some stuff in a bin. So, 
So I do have one game in my backlog, I guess. But yeah, and, and yet here I am talking about what games I want ported. Like, oh, maybe maybe we'll get GTA. Maybe we'll get this. Like, I'm not good. Maybe we'll get Steep. Am I going to well, play these things? <laughs> I mean, for better or worse, I mean, the backlog is literally games you'd never really intended on playing. And when they come out and just like, I don't know, when they appear in your life because of a sale. That's true. I mean, you may or may not get to them. At least you own them. That's I mean, true. the games you bought and played, whether you beat them or not, you at least, you know, went with the intent that you were actually going to put some time into them. And I did put some time into them. That's accurate. Just maybe not enough. Yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, I think, um, I think this is going to be an interesting year for ports generally based on how many games Amazon briefly listed. Um, and, you know, some, some are more like there's two from take Two interactive, right? So that's not rockstar per se. So it might not be GTA. It might not be red dead. It might be a carnival games. Maybe it's a mafia remaster. They just did that on steam the other week. Um, so who knows? But, and I, I could speculate all day about various third party games that may or may not mesh with the demographic of, of the Switch, but I'm, I'm going to spare everyone because, um, yeah, it's people like me that have led to stuff like Sakurai saying he will not talk about what games he's playing anymore. Did you, you wait? I think you actually told me about it, Angel. You know what I'm talking about, at least, right? I don't know if Kevin does. You know what I'm referencing, though, right? Oh, yeah. Pretty, pretty sad. I mean, I'm sure he's just annoyed that. Yeah. I and mean, we pretty much had that conversation here where. I think it was like Overwatch was going to be on the Nintendo Direct, and then everyone was like, oh, that means it's going to be an Overwatch character for Smash Brothers. Like, literally, if any game gets announced around the time of a Direct, yeah. it's because Well, well Sakurai's concern was the opposite. He wants yeah. to talk about games, but he realizes every time he talks about them in a meaningful capacity in his weekly Famitsu column or in his, uh, um, you know, his Twitter, anytime he does that, it basically nothing comes of it like it you know people freak out nothing comes of it in smash because it's not a real thing but everyone freaks out around it as if it's the next smash character confirmed like you were you were saying weren't you making the comparison we were talking about this the other day and you were saying like the chair something with the chair oh yeah because there was a one of the character reveal trailers like had a had a purple and green chair in the background i never thought anything of it but after the video was over like, Twitter was blowing up about, like, oh, he just teased Waluigi. Look, it's the exact same shade of, like, green for the L, the exact same shade of purple, blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, sure enough, like, nothing came of that. Yeah. Because people will, like, literally clot everything. And I don't know if this one's true. It could have just been a coincidence, but, like, I didn't notice anything was up with Sakurai's eye. Apparently, he, I guess, just had, like, I guess his eye looked a little red. And people were thinking, like, oh, he was teasing king k rule because his eye is red oh god (laughs) oh my god yeah and i mean king uh, k rule ended up being a character but you know that's like more fuels i mean that was his confirmation bias at that point and not only that but like it it's dumb because like sakurai i'd say above pretty much anyone else is the most gamery like gamer like he's a he knows everything in and out of every game so to be able to hear his takes or get his game recommendations he plays a ton of games yeah it has and it has so much more weight to it and it's so much more interesting than a lot of other folks in the industry so the fact that he can't do that because everyone's like but what does that mean just kind of sucks like the fact that he's actively feeling he's unable to talk about games how he wants to for fear of this sort of backlash thing it just it's sort of or not you know backlash to expectations that shouldn't be raised just sort of sucks. Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, sorry, Sakurai. I mean, I'm part, I was part of the problem. I was speculating right here. But I, I guess the broader point I was trying to make, though, is that, like, you are part of the problem. I am part yeah. of the problem. We should just cancel this podcast. But no, the, uh, the, the broader point I was trying to make is that, like, third parties are certainly going to strike while the iron's hot right now. 
but if they just try and port over like the latest and greatest forever, I don't think that's going to really work long term. Like it works right now, barely. But I don't know how it's going to work like a year from now. Well, I think may actually have better success are remasters and remakes of older games where you don't have to worry about how do you dumb it down for Switch. It's more like how you bring it up to the Switch's level. And, uh, you know, that that's very mu- that's much harder to mess up. And something like uh, like Crystal Chronicles, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles Remastered, that seems like a good example of that. Because that was, you know, it was announced last week that the game, which was delayed, is now officially coming out August 27th. Um, I don't remember, do you guys play, I feel like we talked about this before, but did you guys play the GameCube one? No. I didn't own it, but I did play it. What did you think of it? I mean, we played it very briefly. I thought it was kind of boring. It felt like nothing was happening. (laughs) Um, I I didn't think the gimmick was well used, but it was also... The gimmick was not well used. Like around the time it came out. I don't know. I I, I think I just wasn't interested in playing it. Yeah. So I think I I just had a biased thoughts towards it. Well, to be fair to you, I mean, it's... It was not well used, the gimmick. It could like, be the re- one thing I remember about the game, however many years later, it came out in, what, 2003, 2004? So we're talking like six – oh, God, we're old. 16 or 17 years ago it came out. Um, but, yeah, the one thing I remember is not the gameplay. It's not anything. It's how pointless that GameCube Game Boy connectivity was. Like, essentially – I mean, sorry, Andrew, you are about to say something, I think. Were you going to say something? I feel like I heard you start to talk. No, but – I mean, the connectivity, I mean, I thought it was usable in uh, Fourth Words Adventure. Mm-hmm. I thought that was cool. Well, so what Final Fantasy did but, with it, um, from what I remember, what Crystal Chronicles did with it, is they did a little bit like Four Swords, where if you go into different places from the rest of the team, it goes onto the handheld. Uh, like, so Four Swords, if you went to a house, it would be on the handheld. I think Final Fantasy did it for towns. But for the majority of the game, all it did was show items and have your battle menu. It was like a prototype of what most DS games ended up doing at the most basic level. And it's like, why, if you just huh. want to play what amounts, at least from what I remember, and if you just want to play what amounts to Gauntlet with a Final Fantasy skin, because, I mean, that's really what it was. It was an action RPG. Um, you were able to customize your characters kind of Final Fantasy way. There are different character classes. Uh, the one hook was like, one person had to carry this like vessel thing, and you had to stay within the zone of that vessel, or else you die from the toxicity of the world, which is yeah, a great commentary on our modern for time. some reason. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and it was just kind of like like it was like if you like Gauntlet, if you like you know Nine Parchments, Torchlight, any of those, this is kind of that sort of game, just a little more Final Fantasy, uh, from what I remember. Uh, but it was a big deal at the time because it was the first home console game for Square back on a Nintendo platform. Uh, I think Final Fantasy Tactics came out like the fall before in Game Boy Advance, but eh, it doesn't really count. This was a bigger deal because it was like on Nintendo's flagship device for the first time since the Super Nintendo. Um, mm. Yeah, so like it's and it and what's cool is like if you are into Gauntlet or if you are into that sort of stuff, like this remake seventeen ish years later, uh, they like now you can without any limitation. It has local co-op, it has online play, it has cross-platform play between PlayStation and Switch. No Game Boys are required, um, and and that is what I think can live on as like a successful type of port or remake or remaster in Switch's later years. Is if you can't beat them on one end, you come from the other end and play the nostalgia card and bring over older games like that. I think can continue to work for Switch. Or if you want to go like even one step further, uh, demaking games works, which is just my lazy way of transitioning to this kind of weird but kind of cool um, Bandai Namco announcement that came out of Japan the other day. Pac-Man Championship Edition. 
We just talked about the sequel last episode, but the original is getting remade, demade as an 8-bit Pac-Man game, hmm. which is kind of crazy. It's being handled by um, M2. They did the very well-received Sega Ages uh, 3DS stereoscopic conversions of Genesis games. And okay. since we just talked about Champion... What? Not that I heard good things about those. Yeah, me too. I, I actually have never played any, but I've heard good things. Um, and and since we were just talking about Championship Edition 2 last episode, I felt like it was worth giving a shout-out to the fact that they're now kind of taking that formula, the more rapid-fire, uh, time-limit-based, like crazy high-score combo version of Pac-Man, and putting it in the skin of old Pac-Man. So it's going to work exactly the same, whether it's flashy neon 3D or 2D 8-bit. But what's what's interesting is in Japan, at least, how you get it is it's going to be part of that Namcot collection thing that we talked about a few months back, which is a free download from the eShop. And then you buy individual classic Namco games. So it's Namco Museum, but it's piecemeal, and you buy what you want. But if you choose to buy 10 of the games, mm. they'll then give you 8-bit championship edition for free. Which actually sounds kind of like a cool way to motivate people if they want to get the full set. Or, you know, if you only care about Dig Dug and that one with the little white mouse. I forgot what, Mousy? Mimsy? Mimsy? Yeah, like if you just want to do that... Cool, just do that. But if you want like all of them in a full set, they have the motivator to get you to get the full set, which I think is a cool approach. I don't know. Um, here in the U.S., though, they're not they're not doing that apparently, which is kind of lame. So the Microsoft Store they leaked yesterday, two days ago. They accidentally listed two unannounced Namco collections: Namco Museum Archive Volume One and Volume Two. Each will come with a handful of games in a bundle you have to buy as a bundle, and one of the games in Volume 1 is, in fact, the D-Make of Championship Edition. I'm not Hmm. sure why they're not comfortable trying the a la carte approach that Japan's getting, but that's personally what I would prefer. I mean, I think we're in in an age with, you know, in-app transactions and microtransactions and all that, that the the piecemeal one could have totally worked. Yeah. I agree. I mean, it, it's, but, yeah. They clearly disagree, but I guess. But yeah, I, th- I think that's... Mm. Um, I, n- I never... Hmm. No, I was going to say that. I never really played the original, but I mean... Actually, I never really played either, as I mentioned last time. But, I mean, if we're going to get it in some capacity, I mean, I'm definitely more interested now. I mean, just the fact that we're getting it. Yeah, I guess some is better than nothing. That's true. But I just wish they were... I guess I just wish they were as comfortable experimenting with digital delivery platforms here as they are in Japan. But, but I don't know. Maybe, mm. maybe for all we know, I know Namco Museum as a collection has been very successful for them. On GameCube, it was a player's choice title. Like that means it sold, I think, either a million or three quarters of a million. I forgot what the they changed the definition at some point. But like it had the player's choice banner. It sold a lot. So I guess they figure why risk those sales when we can just. You know, sell two of them, each with like a handful of games. I had it on PS2. I loved it. Right? Like, it's good. And they, and they like actually put care into it, and they have like the, the like artwork archives and everything. Like, they're the first ones to do like that sort of compilation well. Hmm. And then, of course, you know, Capcom and all them piggybacked off it with like the Mega Man collections and stuff. But they were, you know, kind of the head of the pack with that. No, uh, oh God, no pun intended there. That one, I swear, it was not intentional. <laughs> but uh, Head of the pack? Part of the pack, Pac-Man. <clears throat> oh. Anyway, let's let's quickly move I, away I, from I see, that. I see. Yes, yes. I see is the exact response you always want to hear to a joke. Ah, I understand the humor. 
<laughs> so anyway, that's one side of the port conversation. You know what we're getting, when, for how long. But there's another angle, another aspect that Angel, I know, this relates to something you specifically want to talk about, and that's when the games do arrive, how they're received, not necessarily by players, but in terms of like reviews and just the concept of mm-hmm. reviews in I mean, general. Because I, get... I know you want to touch on the Xenoblade one that IGN just did, right? Yeah, it's kind of both because I I realize I haven't really I don't know maybe it was around I think after game trailers but pretty much for a long time and I feel like many are in the same boat like, I don't really watch reviews to decide whether I want to get the game or not to help me decide if I'm sure about a game I'd rather watch like a ten minute gameplay video of either someone talking about while playing the game or literally just gameplay of the game after it's been released and that would be, give me a much better gauge of what i think about the game just because reviews a lot of the time could be very contextual especially when it comes down to who's reviewing it whether they are regular players of that genre or whether they haven't played that genre at all which you know could benefit someone that you know like jason would probably be more interested in hearing a review from someone that normally doesn't play very heavy rpgs listen to them talk about a very heavy rpg it's like oh how would it affect me that doesn't really play them that often versus, <laughs> how would it affect me i would get <laughs> well how would it impact yeah, how would it affect you on life? a deep emotional level would, it, would you get attached to them or would right, it just be right. a waste of time yeah versus me who already know they like them you know it's going to be hearing a lot about like oh this kind of system is tedious oh this kind of menu is blah 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 but you know maybe depending on the game it's like that's just how it's always been or you're or you know, it's because you don't like the genre that you don't like it. Like, that's just that simple. But point is, I was casually watching the Xenoblade Chronicles review recently for the, like... The Definitive. What's it called? Definitive Edition? Yeah, Definitive Edition. Yeah. And I wasn't planning on getting it. It just kind of popped up on YouTube, and I just decided to watch it randomly. And it seemed like a fair review. It kept getting praised. It kept... they. It, seems like, it seemed like they brought on some fair, like, marks against it. And at the end of it, it sounded like they were saying, like, all right, like, it sounds like if you're interested in the game, go get it. It got an 8 out of 10. That was the end of it. And then later on in the week, um, I follow a couple people that really, really love um, Xenoblade Chronicles. And they brought to the attention of how terrible this review was, how it didn't do the game justice. And then I looked at the review again, and I saw that it had a like 12,000 like to 1,000 dislike ratio. So, like, 12,000 people didn't like it. Only 1,000 people did. And stuff that they were, like, saying was unfair or not done well was, you know, like, how they characterize some of the characters, how they pronounce some of the names, hmm. kind of the stuff that I was just talking about. And that kind of reminded me of, like, um, IGN's Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire review, where, since I, you know, I love and played Pokemon, a lot of the complaints that they had were very like, oh, I don't know, like that doesn't really seem like a valid point. It just that's, I mean, the game is revolved around water, but one of their big arguments was that it had too much water, and of course, it had thirty six thousand dislikes versus four thousand likes, and became a meme. And yeah, exactly, yeah, too much water, <laughs> but and yeah, that's why I don't know. That's why you definitely have to take reviews with a grain of salt. Like one, I've talked about this game many times on this podcast before. Because um, my friend Nigel and I, we love the heck out of Mario Super Sluggers on the Wii. We feel it's like, we said how how great of a baseball game it is because it actually follows every single rule that baseball has to offer while throwing in some little Mario twists in it. And that's excluding items because, you know, we play without items. 
but we do play with the ultras and we think it's super fun it's super competitive i mean we like rave about it but then many many years ago i remember watching the game traders review which i do love their bumpers i definitely miss <laughs> just, and like, that announcer guy i wonder what he ended up doing oh yeah and the narrator yeah narrator, like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's it's, the word, it's narrator. Just at that the announcer yeah, guy. it's just nostalgic at this point. <laughs> yeah, but essentially, like I watched the review again recently just to see, like, was it as bad as I remembered? Were they fair up to the game? And they were saying for a game about baseball, there's barely any baseball in it, or the controls just simply don't work. How, like, the mechanics, like, for a, a company that for the company that made Wii Sports, how in the world did they make this game? Yeah, and you passed the link, to and it's us, like, and it was they kept. Like making it about Wii they sports. Were dev- yeah, they clearly wanted a baseball sim game, but this game, like, literally just took the original Mario Sluggers and just improved upon it a little. Like, I this game definitely did not want to have um the motion controls the center of its gameplay. Like, you literally just have to shake the Wiimote to. It's pretty much just an extra input. You could just think of it as an extra button that the that the Wiimote and Nunchuck didn't have to wind up your swing and you shake it again to hit. You don't actually have to time it with the with the swings, which is explains why they felt that it didn't work. Or maybe and you know like that's such a basic thing in the game that that just kind of tells me that they didn't even try to get it to work. And you could tell when someone's reviewing a game that they've already decided they didn't like and they're just going to rant about it versus someone that is trying to be fair about it. I mean, Sonic Racing, the infamously horrible Sonic Racing game or I'm no Sonic R I just call it Sonic Racing. It's like a really old Dreamcast PC game that my brother and I played the heck out of. It wasn't on Dreamcast, was it? What? I don't think it was on Dreamcast, was it? Oh, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sacred Saturn. Yeah, it was even before that. It was on the the system that did even worse than the Dreamcast. Yeah, (laughs) that one. Yeah, but we we played it on PC. That's where I was introduced to it. Mm -hmm. And my brother and I played the heck out of that game. And... We didn't know it was an infamously terrible game or that the controls, like, <laughs> sucked. We just, like, we just thought it was, like, oh, man, this game is just really difficult. You really have to, like, master this control. So, like, we pretty much got used to the slipperiness. We, like, learned to play around it, and we got really good at it, and we beat the game. Oh, well. And then later we learned, like, how it's one of the most, like, unplayable games because of it feels like everyone is running on top of soap, which is true, but we thought that was, like, an inherent mechanic of the game. And we ended up really enjoying it. So, I don't know. I mean, what poor shelter for reviews are, are just, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. And this doesn't even like get into the whole like numerical system because like an eight out of 10 could be considered a good thing. I thought that was all right. That's good for Xenoblade. But people, again, were arguing like eight out of 10, like, oh, that's horrible. Like they might as well just say it was like a two out of 10. It should have been a 10 out of 10. Or well, even people get mad about 9 out of 10 when they feel a game should get a 10 out of 10. Partially with the Xenoblade like, one, I feel not to defend the angry fandom because I agree they're being ridiculous, but part no, of it no, no, was no, the no, original no, and... got a 9. This one got an 8, and they basically said this was better than the original in every way, and it's just like, what? <laughs> so why is the number low? Well, but that's okay, where it comes so down then... to different individual reviewers, and that's yeah, exactly. part of the problem. The, yeah. the, original indiv- the original game for the reviewer for this definitive edition could have thought that the one on the Wii U, wait, Wii or Wii? Wii, Wii. And Wii. Wii. And could have been like a, a 6 or a 7. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get that. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm saying more to Angel's point, like that's part of the problem is people are assuming that review is this definitive statement from an outlet where it's really just a guy. So yeah, they were freaking out because it from IGN, 9, which, but it's different people. Which unfortunately for them, like, 
people have already decided whether like they're gonna you know if it's a game that you like and it gets the review you want like then you get your validation and you agree with them but if a game gets a 10 that you feel even if you weren't going to play it and it gets a 10 then you feel like oh well you know they got paid to do that or it's not really a 10 yeah like if anything i feel like i prefer like i don't really watch um a lot of their videos but i do at one point i did watch some um i forgot what his name is gerard something but he does he has a show on youtube called the completionist and there's like um the other the game explain people which i'm sure a lot of people that follow nintendo stuff know about like their rating scale is not numerical they just use simple words like for a completionist if he thinks a game is i guess would you want to equate to a 10 he would say complete it that just means that it's enjoyable to 100 percent the game get all the achievements beat everything and it'll be fun throughout or right below that he might say the game is a play it just means play it through like it might not be worth to get everything but it's still worth buying and you know just beating the game or try it which you know could be more subjective he's not really sure if you're gonna like it but it may end up loving it and if for you it may be a beat it but you know there's a lot of there's more gray area there but if you're more honest and accurate than just giving something a straight up number especially because you know a 10 for an rpg may not be a 10 for someone that doesn't normally like rpgs I think but, that's something yeah. that Angel all those years ago when we started the podcast, I was I, part of it's because I don't beat my games. We know that, but also I think that's partly why we made the choice that we. I don't know if anyone's noticed that listens to our show or reads a blog post or looks at our Twitter. We never say review; we always say impressions, and that is a decision made off the fact that like we are only our three opinions, right? And I mean, and Kevin, obviously you came on since we decided that, but we're only our three opinions, and like there's so many times that when we're giving our opinions on what we're playing, we always say like, if, you know, we like it for this reason, if you, if that gels with you, you may like it too, type of thing. Like even with what the golf, I'm like, Oh, I recommend it. But if you like WarioWare, like, yeah, this is it. Like, so it, it's, it's, it's hard when you make a definitive statement like this is, I mean, there are a few exceptions of course, um, but it's hard to make a definitive statement of this game is something everyone will like. It's a must play. Obviously reviews give a barometer, of quality on some like if you you know average them out you can tell if a game's just horrible or good but in terms of like how good like yeah i I agree with you that's very very subjective and you know you see it happen with movies already like people don't read the reviews they just look at the rotten tomato score and if there's a consensus in a certain direction or another that gives you a sense of whether the movie is good or whether it's bad um yeah it's funny like with rotten tomato i feel like i look more at the audience score than i do the critic score just because exactly you know the overall enjoyment is what i look for more like like, if I looked at the critic score for... Actually, I don't know what the audience score is for Scoob, but I'm going to assume that it's horrible for the critic score. And if I was just going beside that, I probably wouldn't watch it. But, you know, I feel like more people probably enjoyed it, and I know that's kind of the case with some of the Star Wars movies where the re- yeah, the viewer score was way higher than the critic score. Scoob is a 50% but, among critics and a 62% among audience. So there's your point. Yeah, There you go. And more I think, than half. Yeah, And I think... I don't think you're alone with any of this, Angel. Like, I think, um, is it like just the, the way you're going? How like you go to YouTube and you go people that don't give scores and you go for people that whose opinions resonate with you already. I think like it is harder, as I was kind of saying, for reviews to be a definitive source. Like, I think more and more people are doing what you're doing. They're watching, you know, specific personalities. Yeah, They're watching game playthroughs. <laughs> They're what? No, I said like yeah. I, I don't. I don't envy their 
Oh yeah, the test no, 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 no. But yeah, and I think it is kind of very much like you know, like I started saying, like people are preferring to watch playthroughs or like live streams. Like there's a reason Nintendo faced all those Let's Play controversies a few years ago when they wanted to take them down. Like there's a reason they now have the ambassador program because so many people are tuning in to learn about whether a game is from them by watching it be played or by watching a person they know they resonate with play it and give their thoughts on it. And I think like yeah, to kind of piggyback off what you're there's saying, also like. Yeah. Gonna say? I was going to say, and also, like, on, on top of the fact that a lot of these reviewers, you know, they get the game a little early. Sometimes, depending on the game, it might not even be enough time to play it before the embargo is done, which means they kind of have to rush through it. And, you know, they may not get the same enjoyment if they were to actually play it at their own pace, which yeah. does have an influence on the game. And and I think... I mean, I feel like Breath of the Wild is, like, one of those games that if you're... I mean, just has so many ways you could play it and give you so many different levels of enjoyment based on how you play it. So, and yeah. and you know, I think that actually kind of ties in with what I was about to say, which is I think it's actually getting much and much harder to properly review games. And like the best illustration of that is the games of service titles. I mean, like honestly, how do you review a games of service game? Like, look at like Fortnite. <laughs> you can have like, review... if they're already there, just just play them all. I know, no, but like like take Fortnite. Let's just pretend someone wrote a review of Fortnite as if it was a normal game. Let's say they wrote it three months ago. That was before. They did the whole metaverse hangout thing with the Party Royale space. That was before Christopher Nolan agreed to screen a movie in the game in full this summer. That was before the Travis Scott uh, big major event and then the weekly DJ sets they've had with Marshmallow and Steve Aoki and, you know, Diplo and who's who. Like those reviews became dated almost as soon as they were published because the thing just keeps growing and evolving. And that's, you know, if you look outside like Nintendo's little bubble, like look at how a game like, um, uh, what's Riot's game? Valiant? Valiant, right? Like, or, yeah, look at how that's – like they were able to seize on this huge streamer influencer community to blow it up so quickly. It's not even out yet. It already has pro esports teams forming leagues around it. It's in beta right now. Not a single actual full review was written because it's in beta. But it's one of those things that people went to who they like to watch, saw they were playing it, had the added bonus of some of those people. If you watch them play it, you can get into the beta through like a – twitch drop or something but nonetheless they're going to the people they like to watch and watching them play it and then going to experience it themselves based on what they saw never a review score never through ign you know it's just like it captured so much attention as this huge game now that like literally teams are reshuffling their players off other games to go play in preparation for its release like it's it's such a different approach and it's one of those things that like reviews are literally meaningless for that they'll be useful for the maybe more broad people general public whatever that means these days when it's out officially but you know as is people are shaping games before even reviews can become a thing like uh, on the flip side of this coin is amazon they put out a massive game called crucible two weeks in it had three modes and amazon announced they're retiring two of them because um, no one was playing them. So there you go. Like, they, you don't have any review to tell you if the mode works or not. It doesn't matter if the mode works or not. Everyone was playing only one mode and they're retiring the other two. It's like the idea that reviews huh. are this end all be all of gaming, it just seems to be waning because, like, the points you raised yeah, in large part. And, and it gets, but also just the idea of what pros like, are isn't what it was. And definitely way more relevant now than 10 years ago. It's like a lot of games are released, you know, without everything, every mode available. Like, for a game like Smash Brothers, for instance, like depending on when they get the game, sometimes the online isn't even available, so they'll just put out a review, and just, or a mode isn't even available, or it's going to come later, and then they have to amend the review later. Yeah. It's like, oh, this review is only talking about the single player, not all the other modes. We're going to get to those later, but maybe that's something you care about. 
And at that point, it's kind of like like there's still always going to be an audience that wants to just watch a two minute summary. <laughs> like, they're going to be a review for Arms, like once everything is out to now. Because yeah. I mean, if someone didn't like buy Arms when it first came out and waited until it was all over, I mean, that's definitely a way different recommend recommendation than when it first came out, where it's like. Uh, it doesn't really have a lot of content, but maybe you'll still like it. Versus, right. oh, it has way more stages, characters, blah blah blah. Which is in part why it kind of. I mean, makes... it's not fair for it to keep the same score at that point. Yeah, and I think that's in part. I mean, look at Mario Kart Eight, for that matter. Yeah, anything really with DLC. That that's the thing is, I think for Arms case, that's probably why, in some level, Nintendo's now starting to promote it again out of nowhere. Because, well, besides the fact that they can drum up more, you know, sales, um, it's a finished game. It's a totally different product. It's a totally different caliber of release so why not do a dlc fighter and tie in a arms party crash or something you know like now's kind of the opportunity to seize on that but but yeah i think to your point it's um it's very hard to do reviews in a traditional sense there's always gonna be people who want a two-minute summary or a little thing to read and that's there's always gonna be a market for that but more and more i think especially as games are being developed in real time as you're playing them essentially um it's word of mouth, whether that's word of mouth between friends, but word of mouth from people you have a similar uh, train, of, like a similar mindset with, such as maybe people that listen to us and like our opinions and then want to get a game based on what we recommend. We are ultimately still kind of a word of mouth thing versus like a definitive, this game is 8 out of 10, you need to buy it type of thing. So I think it's just slowly moving in that direction more and more. And you kind of see it. Like, remember when, like, game rankings was a big thing and everyone cared about what the number one game on game rankings was? <laughs> oh, Ocarina's number one. Oh, Mario Galaxy briefly is number one. When's the last time you heard game rankings referenced or anything like that? Even Metacritics for games. When's the last time you saw someone freak out about a Metacritic score of a game in the same way they do a Rotten Tomato score? It's just a different ball game now, I feel like. Money ball. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, we are kind of on a roll, actually. Uh, well, Kevin, where do you think of any of this? About where you what stand? Exactly. Where you stand on reviews? Are you more of a you prefer let's plays and streaming, or do you think there's some value still in the whole number system? Like where? Uh, not where, necessarily where the number cut. system. I, I I used to be a a, a, a huge um, a huge IGN reader uh, for Same. a couple of years. I I I, I kind of dipped off them uh, once once video started started to dominate the video game space like video reviews, streaming, that that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the numbering system, I've never been a fan because sometimes the numbering system affects developers like that that big controversy that Obsidian didn't get their didn't get a bonus off of making Fallout New Vegas. Oh yeah, that was because, so insane. Because they didn't hit like an eighty seven yeah. on the Metacritic. I do like what Polygon does. Polygon Polygon got rid of of uh, scores and now have like a seal of approval. Uh, I, I think it's just called like the Polygon recommends. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, this game is is worth your time. I think I'm I'm more of a fan of that. Yeah, I, and po- and Polygon has become a very personality driven site, which is good. They have some great personalities, so I think that mm-hmm. almost meshes with like what we're talking about with streaming and people finding their who they like and then you know if they recommend it okay i like brian what's his name's videos he his outlet recommends it he's probably yeah it's probably for me yeah right so i'm i I guess that's where i stand it it is interesting compared to a generation ago how differently reviews are interpreted now Mm -hmm. like there's so many controversies back then but um since we're kind of already on a roll with angel talking Mm -hmm. point remember cisco and ebert 
Yeah, but see, that's still like on some level exists. Like a lot of people. No, 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 no. Like yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm just like down. saying, just remember them oh, particularly yeah, with yeah. just their. Although even it that, was just a thumbs up or thumbs exactly, down. It was either 100 percent, 50 percent, or nothing. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Is even they, even they did the recommendation thing, and that one was very much your taste aligned with them or it didn't. And you know there are always taste makers, yeah. and they were a taste maker, and you could argue a lot of streamers they hated animated films. <laughs> what? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But and exactly. Like, so you know to blow to blow them off because you prefer animation. Which or not, you know, you resonate with animation, which brings us actually to another thing. We're on a roll with you, Angel. You want to talk about something with art I and do. art styles of games, right? Like, what, what's up? What do you want to? What do you want to talk about? I mean, I was just like on YouTube, and I, I guess like I saw like a retrospective video on Clay Fighters, and just kind of reminded, just reminded me like, well, I remember like really liking this game, even though, you know, kind of like a Sonic R situation. You look you look at current gameplay of it and you realize, well, this is actually a pretty terrible game. But when you're little, I mean, you kind of make do with everything. You, you make just bad like choices when you're a child. The creepy looking snowman. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of got me thinking like how many, you know, like claymation, like actual clay, like stop claymation games are there. And the only ones I could think of were, you know, the clay fighters, which apparently, well, as I learned, were mostly clay, but there were some not clay characters, which is kind of cheating. But um, yeah, besides that one, there's a game called Armor Krog, that was a Kickstarter game that made its way onto the Wii U and the PS3. I think it got a PS4 port. But it's like a point-and-click game, and that game it looks really, really crazy. They're like, I mean, it's just straight up stop motion, but so you have a lot of visual that you definitely can't really replicate, I guess, on anything, even. Like, the closest we've gotten is maybe Kirby's and the Rainbow Curse. Kirby and the Rainbow Curse, mm-hmm. which replicates the stop-motion look with computer graphics. And it does an amazing job of it. It looks like it really is made out of clay. But then when you look at something that really is stop-motion, you're like, oh, okay. The, it kind of comes down to the lighting. I don't know. Something about it just feels way more and real. And the frame rate. Even though it still looks beautiful. Like the choppiness. Yeah, I mean, fr- yeah, like stop-motion inherently has a lot more choppiness because, you know... They literally have to move every character one frame at a time. And you don't exactly want to animate on twenty like 24 frames per second. You have to kind of animate on twos or threes, which means two exposures per per picture. But, um, yeah, I it just feels like an underutilized art style that I kind of miss and I wish we saw more of. Like actual stop motion, not rainbow curse status, which is still nice, but... I mean, we don't really get a lot of really wacky stuff like that, and I kind of hope more uh, someone attempts it. I mean, Ardman Studios, the people that make the Wallace and Gromit films, like, said they want to do a full stop-motion game. I mean, if they do, I mean, all this stuff looks amazing. And, I mean, the quality of the stuff varies all over the place. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I liked, I've enjoyed a lot of the Wallace and Gromit stuff, but, I mean, because it is a... It's British? Yeah, they're British. I forget exactly where it's from. Yep, but they're very British. <laughs> but it, yeah, but it has a very you know sometimes dry sense of humor that many people here might not find entertaining. They might find it boring, if anything. But I mean, I liked it. I mean, the Curse of the Were Rabbit. I mean, I, I think that won the Oscar for Best Animated Feature. I didn't watch it, but a lot of people seem to really like it. Like a lot of people seem to really like Shaun the Sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen it, but I've only heard good things about it. And. I don't know. I mean, I feel like if anyone could do something, it'd be them or Laika. But I feel like it would definitely fit in best with a fighting game, just because at least that way they could reuse a lot of their animations and just focus on making them 
look as awesome as possible. Are you? Let me just make but, sure I'm following here. Are you advocating for a new clay fighters? Um, I mean, I guess if they do, I mean, uh, definitely a yeah, a, a new clay fighter. It doesn't okay. have to be so like let that me franchise. That up now, I, I believe mean, it I, was I don't, two I don't, I don't episodes think have... ago when we were talking about Smash Bros. Be- potentially becoming a 3d fighter and i was like just make a new clay fighter and the two of you were like what's wrong with you you madman why would you ever want that a month later well, no, because like, i don't i don't know i don't <laughs> well no because i don't want i don't want clay fighters specifically i don't want that specific franchise to come back i'm just saying i'm in your head like, i just want <laughs> like i just want a new like i want a new 2d fighter like in the same vein as street fighter but that's completely clay, clay animated I mean, we know it's entirely possible for people to create beautifully, traditionally animated fighters, kind of like Skullgirls and them fighting herds. But, yeah, something in the vein of Clay Fighters where you could really go all crazy with the Clay. Because even they didn't. Like, they definitely did not use the medium to its full potential. They essentially just kind of created the models. And, I mean, they did also only have 64 know, bits to work with. So it was a little, little hard to have individual I mean, cargo effects of Clay. It seems like the Super Nintendo one was better than the N64 one. Yeah, because... I mean, that one had well, more characters and more you can animate, you can hand-draw sprite, or you could do sprites to have little itsy-bitsy bits of clay, but you can't really do that with polygons with particle effects at that time, so... No, they they, they did both the same way. They did Wait, the what? Donkey Kong Country technique for both games. Oh. Right, but that's still 2D so sprites. So they animated them. Yeah, but that's still 2D sprites. They added so a... Fake 3D versus actual polygons. Yeah, but I mean, but they actually still animated the clay, oh, took see. the pictures, turned them into an individual sprite. Yes, yes. So it was... And you could tell, like, when they did it and when they cheated on it. Right. there were some characters that weren't. But, you know, I mean, with today's, like, cameras and animation techniques, I mean, we could definitely see something really, really cool. And, I don't know, I mean, I, I, I love seeing games that just take, like, a different aesthetic. Like, I mean, I love Little Big Planet for that, taking a, a found fabric approach and then Paper Mario recently trying to go... Just keeps doubling down more into its papercraft aesthetic. I do think, and to that point... Um, but I, I do want to yeah. see, like, I don't know, just someone going further, which I guess is, like, where the stop motion would kind of kick in. Because, I mean, it's it's simple enough to replicate something, but to actually do it that way... Like, I don't know if you've... If either of you have heard of this movie... I forgot what it's called, but... It's essentially... Uh, it was by... I think it, it had Van Gogh in the title, or something like that. But essentially, that entire movie was animated using stained glass animation. Whoa. Like, they painted on glass, and they, like, pretty much, like, had to, like, repaint a drawing and, like, slowly, like, manipulate it to, you know, get the proper frames and the movements to work. It's, like, the most tedious, arduous process ever, but you definitely got a result that you definitely couldn't replicate anywhere else, or you couldn't, or you wouldn't think to, because, like, why would you go through the the trouble of doing that? But it's just mind blowing how beautiful it looks. Yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of how like sometimes I feel about some Ghibli movies, like that Kaguya movie I talked about in Quarantine Chronicles, where it just looks like charcoal paintings that like, come to life. But yeah, I I do think um, you raise a very good point that, and you're even saying like Paper Mario's doubling down on the paper, and you know the fine fabric look is something that's been in multiple games that Little Big Plant has and Yoshi. Because it wasn't really that important to the plot in. In the first one, yeah. I mean, it just kind of looked like that. No, but the the, the second one definitely did it a little more, yeah. but then it still wasn't really revolving around that. No, but I didn't mean double down in terms of they're they're using the stack. Like that's good, but I mean like there was a period of time there, and I think it's because on some level we're running out of things we can do, but there's still room for creativity. But there's a period of time there where so many games looked so distinctly different, 
So like Paper Mario, that paper stack thing was like, that was really unique at the time. And now like there was, it's it, nothing against it. It looks cool, but there was a fan video that came out the other day of uh, Paper Star Fox 64. Like what if Star Fox 64 was reimagined <laughs> in the Paper Mario aesthetic and all the fighting was done as turn-based battles between the characters? And it's a great video. They put a ton of work into it. It's really cool. But then a day after that, and there's a well, aesthetically link- looks great, but I did not. Yeah, like I feel like in any of the flying sections just wouldn't really work. Yeah, no, it wouldn't work. I mean, it, it's, 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 it's just too flat. You know, it's a fan project. It's cool for what it is. No, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we'll link to but it. I, I mean, it kind of it kind of worked in both ways. Like, like, oh man, this oh, would yeah. look like yeah. I love the art direction in it, but. And we'll, yeah. and I we'll, mean, if they just made side scrolling, that would just work. <laughs> yeah, and, and we'll link to it in the blog post for anyone who hasn't seen it. But the thing I was going to say about that, so that was cool. And it's like, oh, Paper Mario, now Paper Star Fox, okay. But you know what came out like three days after that? A Paper Sonic fan video. And I'm sitting there like, this Paper Stag, ignoring fan videos even, is kind of an established thing for now 20 years. Paper Mario, the original, came out in 2000. It's in 20 years. And then I started thinking about, well, what other games? Because, you know, you, you sort of tipped off. You want to talk about art style. So I was giving some thought to the art style. I'm like, okay. Yeah, even after, like, I mean, when I mean when Cuphead came out, like, whoa, like, no one had done, like, this, like, yeah. 50-style animation that looks amazing. And, like, they actually used the actual techniques. It was great. But after that game came out, a lot of other games started coming Angel, out. Angel, did, did you play Puppeteer? I did. On the PS3? And 3D also. Yeah. That game was cool. I just, I, I mean, they definitely were making it like, a, I mean, they were definitely making it a point that like, oh, this game is in 3D, so you definitely lose a lot if you're not playing it on the 3D TV. Mm-hmm. But no, yeah, I mean, it, it looked, it was a very pretty looking game, kind of like you know, Little Big Planet. Right. And and there are still, I think, some that show up. Like Cuphead's a good example. Puppeteer had its style, yeah, but like, I'm looking, I'm thinking back to like the Wii days, the GameCube days. Like, do you remember how big of a deal? wind waker was not just because it changed up zelda because no game had done that that cell shaded look to that Wait, wasn't extent. killer seven out before wind waker it came out after i believe the uh there was like cell damage from ea which was like a vigilante eight with cell shading but like to the extent that wind waker did it like not having outlines on anything like it was i think killer seven was after and i think wind waker was the first of its kind really and even to this day like wind waker oh, looks... no cell damage that it was cell because of an animation cell yeah because all but the it was characters were taken from different animation styles yeah. and killer sound came out two years later than wind waker here in the states um oh. but yeah so my point was like that was crazy or like like that was a big obviously a big push for it was um because it was so or like a big response to it was this is zelda this isn't zelda it's not real but like in general there's something about that original art style even today with it's more simple geometry than the hd remake that i kind of like still and like that was a big deal or like when kirby canvas curse came out and they were doing stuff with mosaic designs and stone designs like it, it was different and then mm, like the, clonoa 2 was cell shaded was it Mm-hmm. But in the same way? I don't think it's quite to that extent. And didn't that come out around the same time anyway? I guess I could say that era. Uh, 2001. Oh, so, it was so the year that Zelda was first shown in cell shading, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so okay, so they're in tandem. So two people have the same idea. We'll, we'll run with that, sure. Um, but my point is, like, so then that happened. And like on the Wii, we had occasional stuff like Warrior Land Shake It, where it was all hand-drawn from start to finish which is very uncomfortable oh yeah that'd be cool yeah and like and you know shantae's kind of dabbled in that since there's a new one out shantae and the seven sirens that is is it i think it's hand-painted gameplay and fully ma cutscenes I mean, or something it, it, like that yeah it's like a little bit of, i mean they 
they have traditionally animated like they have a traditionally animated intro that's done by an anime studio, Studio Trigger. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Titmouse, they kind of joined forces for that. But I mean, the game is mainly like flash animated, just like a very cool advanced version of flash animation. Like it still looks nice and two D, but it's not the same as a fully traditional. I mean, right. when there's ways like to make flash animation look really really good, which they do, but I mean. Some games, you know, when they try to cheat it, like the one of the aforementioned Cuphead clones was trying to do, like, that art style, but they did it with flash animation instead. And you could definitely tell how it suffers mm-hmm. from not actually having the same animation to match, you know, the given art style. And, but... and I get, like, and I'm not saying, and obviously there's only so many different styles you can do. And I get that some of these styles can be much harder to produce than others, or they cost more money. But, like, if you look at something like um, – and I'm not saying this is an example of an amazing art style. It, I like the art direction, but it's a very trendy one that's currently used by What the Golf as well. But Untitled Goose Game, they were actually backed and paid for in part by public arts funding down in Australia. Um, a few weeks ago, I think it was The Verge, had a story about how Film Victoria and Creative Victoria, which are the same art funds that lead to a lot of movies being produced down there, throw money at developers as well to see their game creation visions through, whatever those may be. You know, like really any how any art endowment works. Like we have one here in the states called NEA that the government runs. But um, it's kind of like this thing where I wonder if we're reaching a ceiling where there's just we're running out of styles of game, and those things are starting to like kind of loop back around or be a little. Um, I mean, we're redundant. seeing games that intentionally look like N64 games. Yeah, and is that and that's older. a nostalgia play. and they end up looking fine. And I'd say that's a nostalgia yeah. play for sure. But like, are we reaching a point where like if someone like I want you Aha's take on me as a music video? You know their music video look as a game, but I can't because I don't have funding. And then someone like Public Arts funding and you know like uh, Film Victoria could come in or NEA here could come in, or is it more like we're just running out of style? Like, did we was that lightning in a bottle that allowed for games to look so diverse back then, or is it more like there's just so many more games now in the time since that all the styles that were come up with then are now just being kind of revisited because there's only so many styles. Like, I don't really know. It's just interesting that there's a period there where things I feel like visually mm. were very different and now they are different, yeah. but there's the same in their differences. If that makes sense. Like there's buckets, there's the 2d artsy indie platformer. There's the N64 style. There's the like eight bit style. Like they're very bucketed and some breakthrough like Greece and, you know, a few stand out in different ways, but even like, you remember when limbo was a super big deal because of how it looked initially, that's what caught everyone's eye. There's like mm-hmm. 10 yeah. games that look like that now and they're all very good. I'm sure. But um, and that's not sarcasm. I know some Donkey Kong levels from Country Returns are literally exactly. Like that. But like, it just feels like something like we're getting way more creative in the types of games. I mean, like what the golf I mean, is wild. At this point, it kind of feels like fun. fidelity is now like the one that kind of making the difference. Like yeah, like Journey looks like freaking amazing. But I don't really know what kind of style to really call it because it's kind of so shaded. But the sand clearly. I mean, I don't know. Like some I games. Like shade. I mean, like even. Yeah, I would say it's so shaded. It, 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 you were saying, I mean, I haven't seen it in a while, but like, I remember, I guess the Senate environment's not really feeling so shaded, maybe just the characters, but it just looked really, really pretty. But I'm trying to think of a game that doesn't necessarily have an art style, like, I mean, I'm trying to think of like, I mean, even like God of War 2018, like that one, I guess it's going for realism, but it also has like just a weird kind of color design palette that just looks really pretty yeah and, and there's like i don't really know if it really has an art style outside of just call that art design very graphically yeah, that's probably more art design 
and and that's the thing is like yeah. I would say art design like there's still like interesting innovation happening within those different existing styles like within the realistic quote unquote style that Sony leans on so heavily. There's some really interesting stuff they do game to game, and there's of course exceptions to this rule like uh, Return of the Oberdin. I know we talked about before, um, you know how like we Kevin and I really like the Game Boy camera aesthetic for lack of a better way of putting it. But I know Angel, you had different uh, opinion on it, which is fine of course. Um, I've grown to like it. Oh, you! I, oh, you did come around. Okay. I appreciate it. All right, cool. But yeah, like that's a style that's not really done. Or um, there's a game that just came out on Switch this week called Liberated. Um, I might pick it up at some point. I'm not sure, but basically, it's this. Um, it's hey, a game about fighting a suppressive <laughs> government, and they have a film noir style that literally looks like a comic book, and it really pops because, like, I mean, at the end of the day, you're playing a side-scrolling stealth shooter of sorts, of which there are many. But the art style and presentation just it really can change the feel of a game because beyond just the like visual aesthetic, in this case, like from what I've seen in trailers and footage, you're literally inside comic book frames the whole time. Cutscenes come in and out as the page turns, there are quick time events that occur as like action panels in the comic book. And you know, graphics aren't everything, but presentation and like the style of presentation can actually make a difference. And I just feel like a little piece of that it's not quite the wow factor that we used to get. It's kind of not yeah. there as much wow in the sense of wow i've never seen something like that before versus wow what a new take on something i'm familiar with you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i think your stop motion thing maybe is one of those could fill that gap in the way that sort of liberated can or sort of um over din can or back in the day paper mario did or what have you but that's at least my or you know cuphead when it first came out like there's still those bursts of it but i just feel like the early 2000s were such a more or really the O's, were such a more, like, rapid-fire form of it than we're seeing now. Right, yeah, for sure. I mean, even games like Braid, I remember, like, oh, it looks like a painting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And it looks pretty, but it definitely didn't age as well as I mm-hmm, people remember mm-hmm. it. And what's funny is, like, major game companies are doing, like, they are mixing styles up, just not in games. Like, did you see... Oh, wait, you did see. You're the one I saw it from. You retweeted it. The Pokemon Company's Poketune. Their Looney Tunes riff. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, really neat. Yeah, it's like it's straight up an homage to Looney. I'm surprised Tunes. they actually went through the trouble of doing that. Yeah, I I don't know why they did, but it's really. And cool. I'm kind of surprised they ended up going with Scraggly. I guess yeah, he's Scraggly and Mim- Mimikyu were interesting. Like Mimikyu, like makes sense, I guess. But... Even then, I mean, I know they're trying to make him a mascot, like he wants to be so badly, because I mean, he is just trying to emulate his hero Pikachu. But um, I don't like his skin pants. Yeah. All right. <laughs> You're talking about Scraggly, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't like him either. It's really Good me. I honestly, if this was a quarantine crockle episode, that would be our title. I don't like his skin pants, but unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, wrong show of random Nintendo. But yeah, I didn't either. It was very strange. But I did like how much it channeled Looney Tunes. I mean, the music cues with no dialogue, the slapstick humor, the look, the feel. I mean, I half expected Porky mm-hmm. Pig or like a Spoink or something to come out and say that's all, folks. But um, it was, yeah, it's only on the Japanese channel right now. Um, we'll link to it in the blog post as well. But like, it's interesting that companies are like experimenting on that side of things more. But in gaming, it's very like the defined styles at this point, which isn't necessarily anyone's fault. Just kind of an observation. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, well, what I'm saying is, yeah, I mean... Angel, let's get some stop motion going. <laughs> do it you should single-handedly bring stop motion in gaming just team up with the walls and grommet guys oh boy i realize the redundancy in or not redundancy the oxymoron of angel you should bring up you should single-handedly do stop motion by teaming up with others i realize that makes zero sense <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, well, that's Jason. Sure is. So before I dig deeper into a hole here, I'm going to bring up our third and final bucket of news. Unless um, anyone had anything about art style they wanted to touch on real fast. Sounds like we're heck yeah, no crickets. All right. So the final bit of news we're going to talk about is some small hardware news, as in literally news about small hardware. The smallest, but also biggest is the story that Sega is doing something special for their uh, celebration of their 60th anniversary this year, and that is continuing their tradition of baffling hardware. Um, that's a bit mean. Why so small. That's a bit mean. I should back up. There's some cool stuff they're doing with the game with the Game Gear Micro uh, that they just announced in Japan, but there's also some very very weird stuff. It is incredibly small. Um, for those who don't know that a keychain attached to it i guess that'd be cool but yeah let me real quick for those who don't know what we're talking about because it was only announced in japan um as of now basically this is their latest attempt to hop on the uh, all-in-one miniaturized retro console trend the micro console and uh they might be going a little too far with this one but basically the game gear micro is 92 percent smaller than a game gear which translates to it uh translates to it being a 3.14 inch wide device with a screen that is 1.15 inches in in uh size so is that like smaller than the game boy micro yes the micro Bigger? the micro was a two inch screen this is a 1.15 inch screen Christ. to give you some point of reference oh my god you're and playing, that thing was tiny you're playing on a screen that is less than half of an inch larger than a postage stamp so now the screen to be fair <laughs> it's not meant for playing is it no okay. now the screen to be fair has a dpi uh that's shot that's basically really close to apple's retina display definition so they say you need 300 dpi to like be a retina display this thing's 260 so it's gonna be crisp it's just gonna be really really tiny um but if you ignore the fact that you're going to get the worst hand cramps in the world from playing this thing Let's talk about the games, actually, because the Game Gear Micro will have a pretty good selection of games if you like classic Sega handheld games. 16 of them in all. There's going to be everything from Sonic to Shinobi to OutRun to a personal favorite of mine, Gunstar Heroes, although I've only played the Genesis one. I'm hoping the Game Gear one's good, too. I don't know. But but uh, there's a catch with all this. There are four different Game Gear Micro colors that will be sold, and each one will only come with four of the games. And each one will retail for $50 each. Meaning, well, the Japanese conversion, the yen conversion of $50. Meaning if you want all 16 games, you will be spending $200 and having four separate tiny devices that you'll need to rotate between. Who would do such a stupid thing? I don't know. And, and, but you know what? Let's say you want to do that thing, Kevin. Let's say you want to do it. You can oh, buy a Jesus, bundle. Right. You can buy a bundle. All four for $200. And if you buy them in a bundle, they will give you a replica of the big window accessory from the old Game Gear. It's an absolutely, like, ridiculous-looking clip-on that made the screen bigger. I mean, Game Boys used to have these, too, you know, like the magnifying glass that you put on. I had one. They're cumbersome, aren't they? No, that worked. Okay, well. Yeah, I had one for my ass. <laughs> I never had I'm one. Not, I'm not defending not. them making one for this thing. Yeah, I mean, they kind of Considering it seems like that's the only way that you're going to be able to play it. But that's the thing. The only way to get it is if you buy all four for 400 or for 200 in a bundle. And then they'll Sold. give it to you for free. Jesus. And wait, I'm not done. There's also another bundle. There's you more? It, but wait, there's more. If you want to go real wild, you can buy a pricier – I don't know the price, but a pricier DX bundle that comes with a fifth translucent Game Gear Micro. And guess what games it has? The same ones as one of the ones in the other Absolutely none. It's a prototype plastic shell. What? <laughs> yep. So you can uh, 
Yeah, and you only get it if you pay even more than the 200 you paid for the 16 games in your big window accessory. Uh, so, Sega. like... Which, I feel like that exact reaction, Psy, Sega, is exactly what everyone would say on their 60th anniversary. For any of their years. Like, that's just them. 60th anniversary, don't say happy anniversary, say Psy, Sega. But no, it's all really bizarre, right? Like, I, I kind of... I kind of get what they're going for with all this. Like, they're leaning very heavily on the collectible aspect of these micro consoles, making it, like, more of an item to own than play, which I guess I can buy into in a concept, at least, since on some level that's why I wanted and now have my classic edition uh, NES and Super Nintendo. It's like I kind of get it, but, like, so whew, these to, decisions. So to, to bring up what we've already stated earlier, uh-huh. just because you can doesn't mean that you should (laughs) i know and you know what this really highlights to me more than anything else and this is gonna sound super fanboyish but i don't care this highlights how well nintendo hits the nail on the head with their concept executions and why nintendo is still in the console market and the hardware market and sega had to back off sorry to bring it up on your 60th sega i know it hurts but like seriously i mean i remember at one point on the show not gonna recover from this no, but I remember once on the show, I was like, a classic Game Boy would be cool. Like, you know, like in the style of the classic NES and classic Super Nintendo, I prefer an N64, but a Game Boy could work, I thought. But now seeing how Sega's approaching this, it made me realize, you know what? Nintendo kind of does know best. I should not have doubted about the the um, idea of a classic Game Boy, because like, I absolutely love my Game Boy Micro. I think it's up there in the upper echelons of Nintendo hardware, not just because of the form factor, but like the build quality was just so good and kind of on nintendo like metal frame metal faceplate had one of the best d-pads had great battery life um had a headphone jack which not even the sp had uh sorry i i whenever i get a chance to talk about the game boy micro i just gush about the game boy micro it's great but but even in the context of like the game gear micro the boy has a screen that's double the size and having played that i don't think you can go much smaller like as someone who's heavily used to the two-inch micro screen on the boy, well, that's what I don't the, think the gear magnifying will work. glass is for problem solved. But only if Damn, you want to pay two hundred dollars, sir. <laughs> it's only two hundred, and that's the other thing. That's they're like, charging fifty. That's cheaper. Oh no, that's as much as the Switch Lite. Oh, never mind. There you go. And 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 they're charging fifty. Oh god, when you put it in those terms, that is a lot. I even think of it that way. But yeah, and and, and that's what's crazy is they're charging fifty dollars per devo- device, and you can only play four games on that device, and encouraging people to actually be able to properly play it by then spending another 150 on top of that for a $200 bundle with the big plastic window. So, like, say what you will about Nintendo loving to sell plastic and accessories. I know I have. We've made fun of Amiibo and everything, but, like, this is next level on Sega's part. Like, it really feels like a concept that, like, it appears like they had a good idea and then they just missed the mark on the highest level of how to, like, act on the idea. It's just such an interesting little microcosm of here's why Sega is in the position they're in 60 years after being founded. But happy anniversary, Sega. You guys make cool games. Sometimes. Yeah. I like some other games. <laughs> crazy Taxi. That, that Crazy yeah. Taxi's the, that's yeah. a good game. I knew it'd be hard to argue with Crazy Taxi. Um, but yeah, so I don't want to end on such a like, oh, Sonic Adventure 1? What? Bad game. Sonic Adventure 1? Bad game. Sonic Angel... Adventure 2? Incredible game. Yeah, Sonic Adventure 2 is great. Andrew, where do you stand on 1 versus 2? I feel like we might have talked about this before, but I don't remember. Definitely prefer 2. Okay. You're on um, the right side of history. Good. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> it got real quiet when I said that. On the, so I, I do think ending a Nintendo podcast with, bah, Sega, you're dumb, is probably not the best way to go. So on the flip side of the hardware story, uh, Angel, why don't you tell us about that arcade stick for Switch you found that, contrary to the Game Gear, looks to actually nail its concept correctly. I remember when the Switch first came out, they were pretty much selling a bunch of, like, build-your-own, like, arcade cabinet housing so that you could just put your screen there and attach the Joy-Con to, like, the front of it so you're replicating an arcade machine, Mm -hmm. which looked cool when it came out, but it's not the same as an actual, like, arcade stick button. And holding the Joy-Con, like, with the tip of your fingers above it is definitely not comfortable. And... Sure enough, um, I guess not even sure enough, like three years later, um, <laughs> I guess this company uh, created like an actual arcade cabinet for the Switch. Like it's very small. You slide the Switch in there and then it gives you all the functionality of like four arcade stick buttons. So, I mean, it looks awesome and I honestly really want it, even though I don't play a lot of games like that. I mean, I do have the Street Fighters, which would benefit from that. But, I mean, it feels like it would benefit more from having two of them. That way you could play with someone else and just kind of replicate that arcade experience because you know then they'll also suck at that game because <laughs> yeah. i feel like i play street fighter better with controls even though you know if you take the time to learn how to play with the you know i guess with the inputs you will definitely do a lot better but yeah yeah i'm not about to do that but i don't know i, I think it's awesome and I, it's I, I think it's definitely worth checking out especially if you are nostalgic for the old days of the arcade machines because I mean, it's, it's as affordable as it's going to get. And I think I think there's some potential. So the thing is called, I just realized we never actually said what it was. It's called the Switch Fighter. It comes out in November. It's an Indiegogo campaign. If you back it now, it's 100 bucks. I think it goes to 140 or something down the line. But yeah, it, it really does look cool. Like It reminds me so much of the uh, Flip Grip, which for those who don't know, is basically a Joy-Con grip with a spot to stick the Switch vertically in the middle. And it, too, was this crowdfunded campaign, and as it blew up, a lot more vertical games like shoot 'em ups pinball games, what have you, began to really include and emphasize that they have vertical modes, specifically because something like the flip grip existed. And the Switch Fighter can do you know, full cabinet like Angel, like you were saying. It does a shooter mode where you can rest the Switch vertically on it. It has a dock mode. It has an HDMI output, so you can actually use it as a regular controller with your Switch on the TV. Like it, yeah, but I think the shooter part is what I'm excited about. Even though you just kind of rested on it, I was kind of hoping it would have some way for it to slide on there but i mean if it means you can still use the buttons that's awesome yeah because and that's really cool and i what... do play 1942 or 19 whatever i think it's 42 i have like a couple which one i think it's 42 i think or yeah oh well either way um i have like a couple games like that like that in ikaruga that i have on my switch that would be way more fun with the arcade stick yeah and like if this actually thing... i wonder if you're just resting it on there i wonder if i can just well, i might slot in and dock some the capacity. switch and use oh well, i'm wondering if i could dock the switch and just use that little controller that way i don't have to invest in a huge expensive arcade like arcade stick which i know there's only like well that's one what the, the well that's switch. what the flip grip would be yeah if you were to go the flip grip route mm. if you just want for vertical yeah because um like we I, oh were you with me when i tried it no I no but i were... don't want to grip it though what do you mean oh well all right carry on i was gonna say i i i, I got to try the flip grip uh we tried star wars pinball i don't know if you were with me when i tried it but sorry oh, yeah the flip grip is not what i would want like because I, I still want to have the arcade controls oh but... i see yes yes but have it be on my tv yes this has the switch fire what you what you're talking about has an output for that yeah 
Yeah, so if it does do that, then it does. That's awesome. Yeah, there you go. I probably, I probably will end up getting it. Yeah, and it's and uh, but yeah, like the thing that the reason I brought up the flip grip is because that thing GameStar game made for it or with it in mind. I mean, that is cool that it does that. I mean, yeah, no, and I think I because I remember when. Go ahead. When my brother and I would play um, at Comic Con, anytime we were online and we were just playing 1942, we would take turns each holding up the screen vertically, right? So the other one could play it, and yeah, I mean it worked. I mean, and what I'm, what I'm kind of hopeful of mainly not so much from me because i'm not necessarily the biggest like fighting game person but like for anyone who is like they're saying i know right but they're saying you know it works with poking it works with classic re-releases and everything between but if it's like the the flip grip it's gonna be one of those things that like once it's out there and people start buying it games will make sure to support its input style it will make sure to to support that sort of button configuration and then like you really do have a little arcade machine in your switch which is pretty cool and i think kind of like the flip grip it's very likely um so there's this theory not even a theory when i was a kid my mom used to say what she called the microwave theory of life which is the idea if you never had a microwave in your life you get by just fine you use the stovetop use the oven whatever but once you do have a microwave it is very hard to go back to life without the convenience and without the the preference of a microwave as an option and i feel like the flip grip was the same way I don't play enough vertical games to make it worthwhile for me, but trying it at E3, I was like, wow, this is really quality. It feels like a Nintendo product. I feel like the Switch Fighter could be the same way for that niche audience of fighting game enthusiasts where once you have that set up, you can just slot in and play it on a table or hook it up to your TV. Why would you go back? Like, it really has a lot of potential, I think. So it's, it's very cool. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, was there anything else for, you want to say about the, sure. about the fighter? I forget how much it costs. But... 100 for now. If you back should... now. Yeah, one hundred. I guess that's not that. And bad. I think it goes up to like one forty or something after. Yeah, first one hundred perk. Yeah. Wait, first one hundred? Does that mean it's already way past due? Oh, only sixteen out of a hundred claimed? Huh? <laughs> Do it. I bought Cookie Mama on the show. Do it. Buy it now. Do it right now. You owe you owe us all a purchase. Uh, you made me do it. I guess they would be charging me in November, so I guess it's not that bad. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, nah. It, it, I, I wish there were like wait no angel. Do it because like two for really cheap. If you do it now, oh, I could get ten for there you go, and then just flip eight of them. No, but if you do it now, that means we can now force Kevin to buy something on the show in the future because we would have established a pattern. Think not of yourself, but of what you can do to Kevin in the future. If only it was like excuse me, thirty bucks cheaper. <laughs> it, <laughs> it just doesn't feel like an. It doesn't feel like an instant buy at a hundred. All right, all right. Well, then we'll we'll just leave it on. There's potential in the Switch Fighter. How about that? Also, it was 1945. What? Also, it was 1945. Oh, not 42. Yeah. Well, okay, fine. Strikers. We'll leave it on the potential in Switch Fighter. And I guess that kind of, I think it's that potential will leave this episode as a whole, unless you guys have any other topics. That kind of does it. Uh, negatory. All right. I think. Um, if we're talking potential, I think there's potential in our next episode too. By the way, because uh, I'll be picking up Clubhouse oh. Games and we'll have impressions of that. Kevin, you're diving into oh. Elder Scroll Blades now that you have your internet working, right? Yep. So we'll have that. Plus, uh, we're entering the sort of pseudo E3 period, so there's gonna be a lot of news events from the likes of IGN and Future, the publisher, not the rapper, and uh, Indie Guerrilla Collective, and like all these different um, 
people that were going to announce things that you know some were pushed back in June for obvious reasons, some were already scheduled for. Later and by June. the next episode, so, we'll be able to tell you guys how we did in our Splatoon. That's tournament. true. Next weekend, if you if you guys haven't entered the Battlefly Nintendo sponsored Splatoon tournament North American Open, please do not because we want to win. <laughs> so um, and we need. Yeah, well, you might have to play against us. Yeah, and we don't want to lose, and we will lose. So please just stay away from the tournament. But yeah, it should be a fun show. Please, uh, Jason is in our team. Yes, you we don't understand. Don't make it any me harder. Just saying it nicely. I mean, literally, stay away. <laughs> but we'll let you know how that tournament went and how the news went with our thoughts and game impressions next episode arrives father's day june 21st uh to make sure you don't miss it or our quarantine chronicles in the weekend in between you can subscribe to us on every platform under the okay sun. there nope i was slowly losing my sense of reality and how to speak um no but we're gonna be doing quarantine chronicles in between and you can make sure you don't miss it by subscribing to us on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, pandora spotify stitcher YouTube, we are randomnintendo.com. We're on Twitter at randomnintendo, where yes, we will still be giving away Kevin's 30 plus amiibo collection. I know we promised it last episode. We delayed it. It didn't exactly feel right in the midst of anything going, everything going on, but it's coming. Uh, I promise you. Uh, and you can also follow us individually. I am JSR7. Can't wait to get rid of these things. I know. You're, you're sitting there chomping at a bit. I know. Uh, but I'm JSR7 on Twitter. Angel's Wero, W E I R O underscore O. Kevin is KVN Gomi. And um, I think that's all for the housekeeping. So, uh, Kevin, final word? Stream RTJ4.